Welcome to the latest edition of Energy and Utilities Market Talk podcast. I'm Andrew Roscoe, Editor of Energy and Utilities, and I'm delighted to welcome you back for a discussion on the fundamental part of the energy transition and the seismic changes happening in energy and utility sectors, not only across the Middle East and Africa, but across the world. Much of the headlines in the energy sector news is about setting ambitious clean energy and carbon emission reduction targets. And while this is important, how these targets become real projects and reach execution is dependent on finance. In spite of numerous challenges to the global economic system in recent years, from COVID-19 to volatile oil markets, it is clear that there is a commitment from banks and financial institutions to support clean energy. If they don't, they will be left behind. I'm delighted to welcome our special guest for this edition, Arpan Nalwaya from Synergy Consulting. Synergy Consulting, as many of you will know, has emerged as a key financial consultant and advisor for governments, utilities, and private sector clients for a host of major utilities projects across the Middle East in recent years, including some of the largest clean energy projects in the world. Welcome, Arpin. Got an important discussion today. I think to start, if you could just introduce yourself and give a bit of an introduction to Synergy and some of the projects and clients Synergy has been advising in the Middle East and Africa in recent years. Sure, Andrew. Thanks for having me, just to start. Synergy Consulting has been one of the most active financial advisors in the infrastructure side. So as Synergy, we cover on the utility side, this power and water, which have been kind of the key sectors for us. And, you know, something that we have been working now for almost 20 years. So these are definitely the sectors which are, you know, closest to our heart in, uh, in, in that sense. But we have focused a lot over the past 10, 15 years on sectors such as district cooling, on transport, on real estate, on PPP within hospitals, schools, etc. So anything related to infrastructure, more so with respect to PPP, I mean, that is something that's kind of a bread and butter in that sense. As Synergy, as Arpan for myself, Middle East has been, you know, one of the most active regions that I have been looking at. This is where, you know, I started working within Synergy as well. We are currently working on quite a few projects within Middle East, which vary from supporting developers towards development of projects, be it on the power side or water side. We are supporting a lot on the government side as well, where, uh, you know, we are supporting the off-takers. Uh, run a successful tender process. So we are doing that in Oman, we are doing that in Azerbaijan, in Kazakhstan, quite a few CIS countries, Africa. So uh, that is something that we have done quite a bit as well. And right between that, from bid support to refinancing support to supporting operating projects in terms of you know whatever conditions or requirements that they need to meet as an operating asset, as well as MA transactions, specifically on the infra side, since you know we are quite connected uh, on this sector, uh, that becomes an automatic offshoot of uh, the services that we provide. So, all of these services across infrastructure, that's kind of the focus area for us. We have different teams, you know, focusing on different regions. For example, there's a separate team that focuses on the Africa side, a separate one which focuses on MENA side, and another for Asia. And CIS obviously kind of becomes another region that we are exclusively focusing on over the past few years uh, because of the uptick in the market that we see in this region. So yeah, to keep it short, I mean, that's synergy. Plenty, plenty of uh, projects to keep you busy there. And I'm sure we'll, we'll come on 
to that later, as you mentioned, different markets have different requirements, different financing requirements. And it's easy often to talk about the Middle East as a market. But as you know, different countries have completely different economic circumstances and priorities. So thank you for the introduction there. In tandem with the launch of renewable energy projects in the region over the past five years, we've also seen a wholesale shift towards private financing for utilities projects. So I moved towards PPP and particularly independent power producer, known as IPP model for power projects, IWP for water projects. In the Middle East, IPPs are nothing new. That The first IPP developed in the region was in Oman in 1994. However, there was a period you had Oman had got the market started. Abu Dhabi in the early 2000s, so it became the, the leader in the region for the IPP model. But markets such as Saudi Arabia, they had a few large IWPP projects. And then they went back to EPC for many years until recently, the last five or six years after the oil price had, had dropped. So why have we seen this shift towards IPP for utilities infrastructure? As you mentioned, you know, power and water sectors have seen IPPs for more than a couple of decades now. So that has always been there as a structure for many of the countries, including, you know, within Middle East to, to utilize and follow. And they've kind of kept improving on it over all these years. Some of the countries, like, for example, Saudi did move towards the EPC structure in between. But at the end of the day, it's uh, more of, uh, you know, your decisions on capital allocation. The liquidity that's available on the private market side, the extent of lending support that's available for countries such as Saudi Arabia or others within Middle East is very extensive. So it makes a lot of sense to tap into those cash flows rather than, you know, for example, utilizing your own state funds for funding something which already sees so much interest from the market. So power water sectors were the first ones uh, to kind of uh, get into such PPP structures. But we are seeing that a lot on many other formats now. You know, for example, there's a transmission project uh, uh, going under the PPP structure. Again, these are structures that have already existed. You know, you just need to look outside a bit. And there are models that you will find in various other countries as well. But it's just a better capital allocation where you see a lot of interest from developers and a lot of capability who can, you know, execute these projects uh, quite, quite flawlessly. So it's a maturity of the market. And I'm happy to see that we are all kind of moving into that direction. It kind of makes a lot of financial sense, I think. Sure. So governments looking to bring the private sector in to deliver infrastructure, put up the capital costs, the power sector is the best place to start or an easy place to start. And that's a benefit, isn't it, for clean energy where there's a change of projects and technologies. There's going to be quite a lot of capacity built in the coming years to meet demand, but also to replace older infrastructure that's coming to the end of its yeah. lifetime. So I think that will benefit the renewable energy sector. And, and if I can add to that, you know, it's not just renewable energy. So within Saudi, now we see a lot of shift on the PPV side towards real estate or residential programs. I mean, Saudi Aramco has been leading that that quite actively and they've already successfully run multiple tenders on that. We see a lot of movements on PPP side towards hospitals, towards uh, transport, you know, roads uh, or ports. Obviously, there are different issues to sort in 
each of these various sectors because you know ppp is kind of the benchmark or a starting point for all of them but uh, you know there has to be customization made for each sector individually which all of these countries are doing and you know as i said uh, i i think this is something that will continue and will keep developing ahead as well sure and when it comes to power projects what is the difference between structuring a renewables ipp and a conventional gas ipp is there more or less risk in terms of risk a lot of that is dependent upon you know how much time and how much visibility has everyone got of those kind of projects conventional obviously started first so the lenders the developers the offtakers all of them got better visibility of that when the pv program started for conventional projects now renewable has been there for a long time now and i think right from the lenders to developers to offtakers everybody has gotten very comfortable with them yes there are various variations you know for example on the wind side you realize that during operations you know the extent of uh, generation is uh, is different and there have been variations compared to what the assumptions were but i think all of that infrastructure around it is developing so well and so fast that people have gotten better at predicting these even in terms of solar for example solar has seen actually better performance as compared to what was projected in many of these projects so people are getting more and more comfortable with renewable projects and purely in terms of construction the risk is actually lower for example constructing solar project or a pv project in terms of construction risk is substantially lesser as compared to a conventional project purely because of the number of moving parts the number of installations the kind of installation that's required etc the other aspects related to generation degradation all of these are still that continue to be evaluated but i think for the past several years all the entities have got enough benchmarks available to make an informed evaluation of the risks that are involved so i think all the parties have gotten very comfortable with renewable now and that's the reason you see many of these lenders developers offtakers move towards uh, renewable so actively not just within mina i mean across the globe sure i guess the lower risk is partly reflected in the low tariffs that we are seeing for renewables particularly solar projects in the middle east countries have continued to set world records low tariffs for solar projects why is that and how important is financing to achieving these low tariffs I think the first and foremost is that you have to say the developers have been aggressive but you know they have been aggressive for a reason the countries within middle east the whole of mina you know have been able to provide proven structures which they have executed and which you know they picked up from the conventional projects as well to an extent but something that uh, that they have built upon that credibility wherein that benefit can be taken within these renewable projects as well purely in terms of solar there's better irradiation i mean you have to say that you know as compared to many other countries outside mina or so you know mina sees a sees a significantly better irradiation as compared to say countries in europe or 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 many of the other places where renewable has kind of really taken off as well beyond that the downward trends in the panel prices that we have seen you know except few hiccups that we have seen in between but there has been a consistent downward spiral of the panel prices you know either a reduction in the price or an improvement in generation 
which kind of just fuels in all of this aggression from the developers as well that you know they can see things improvement they can see that's the new market that's where the growth is and then you see all the continuous flow of projects that are being announced by various countries I and mean, all of them are moving towards renewable in one form or the other so that just helps keep a healthy pipeline uh, for the developers it improves their ability to negotiate as well you know down the chain and i think there are a lot of these things that kind of come together to get these lower tariffs now if i get to the financing side of it you see that on the lending side as well specifically you talk about the multilaterals also which have always pushed renewable quite actively and have been quite instrumental in that as well but not just from them even from the commercial lenders there is that significant push coming in from those because all of them are being driven by the policies of their respective banks or respective governments etc which is all actively pushing renewable within the region thank you arpen i remember so been 2015 when aqua power had set a world record for for solar i think 585 cents a kilowatt hour and i remember speaking to paddy padmanathan the, the ceo then and i think he said that financing costs accounted for about 35% of an ipp project at that time so i guess the technology as you've touched on costs have come down dramatically i think 80% over the last 10 years for pv solar and for wind it's been almost a similar drop financing in this part of the world why are developers able to get such a attractive financing is that to do with the off takers has the low interest rates in recent years helped that what's helped ensure that the best possible financing deals have been it's a combination of multiple factors so first and foremost as i said you know the lenders have gotten comfortable with renewable projects so if you compare the kind of financing that was available let's say 6 years back versus what is available now purely in terms of the commercial terms you know things like dscr things like what levels of p90 and p50 ratios do the lenders get comfortable with that itself has improved so the basic commercial backbone of it is something on which the lenders have gotten more comfortable and they've been able to offer better terms as things have moved forward from the off taker side yes the credit worthiness has a big impact middle east has mostly seen very credit worthy off takers so the lenders have always been more active and and have been happy to you know fund these projects uh, within the region yes there have been a few countries which have seen this impact on their credit ratings and that has reflected from the lenders interest as well but that definitely helps there thirdly the financing structures themselves from long term or purely long term to allowing mini perm and then potentially places like abu dhabi for example which uh, you know have been on the forefront of replacing these mini perm lending with bond refinancing so these are things that tend to then open up the liquidity within the market that's available for financing such projects from these lenders all of these together you know kind of impact the overall pricing yes there's the fourth factor of the pricing from the lenders themselves and how the libor moves etc but i mean that gets influenced by a lot of factors such as availability of liquidity etc which is beyond what the countries or the off takers or the developers themselves can do to get better commercials from the lenders if i can pick up you know uh, covid-19 for example when it started there was a big pressure on the liquidity that was available from the lenders 
that showed the impact of that within the pricing, within live or movements, etc. But I think one and a half years into that now, I think the lenders have gotten comfortable with the way things have changed, the way things are progressing, etc. So I think now, for example, pricing is back to where it was. So with the LIBOR, it is to an extent uh, even better. When COVID-19 really started going through the countries last year, there was concern, wasn't there, that renewable energy might suffer due to obviously the constraints and the, the issues that COVID pandemic, 19 pandemic was was going to cause. And I don't think anybody then realised how much disruption it would cause. But what we have seen is a commitment to clean energy from banks, from investment funds. And I guess that's been reflected in clean energy projects, particularly in the Middle East. We've seen more records being set earlier this year. The records were broken again in Saudi Arabia. So that you've seen that commitment from the financing community to support clean energy projects. Yeah, absolutely. I said, you know, the inherent structural assumptions have improved. The developers have been able to push the lenders and the lenders have been able to accommodate that within the system as well. Because, you know, they've seen the performance of the earlier projects. You know, they are also guided by how many of these assets have performed historically, etc. So that definitely helps. And, you know, there are obviously uh, regulatory reasons as well because of which the lenders themselves have uh, focused on, uh, on 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 green energy quite uh, quite quite actively. So, yes, I, I think this is a great time for renewable projects and, you know, people developing renewable projects because you have a lot of support coming in from lending side, from developers side, from equity side even from specific funds that are created to support these renewable projects, uh, you know, which are then able to lend at uh, lower pricing as compared to uh, any other or any other conventional project or any other project uh, for that uh, matter of fact. So, yeah, I mean, all of that is uh, helping drive down these tariffs. And as you said earlier, that financing has a higher impact for renewable projects as compared to, say, conventional projects because a large part of that tariff component is, you know, the repayment of your loan. So uh, the more expensive your loan, uh, it it has uh, a higher impact there. What are the main sources of funding for a renewable project in the Middle East, for example? So now within Middle East as well, you know, things have gotten a bit country specific. So it's no longer possible to club, say, for example, Oman in the same bucket as uh, Abu Dhabi or in the same bucket as Saudi or Bahrain uh, or, or Qatar. I mean, each of them have developed their own specific nuances or, or, or reasons why they're different lenders that are more active over there. For example, ECAs or local lenders are what you see more active in countries where there are credit rating issues. If you're below an investment grade, you see lesser interest from international lenders purely because of then they need to come in under some sort of cover, etc. So you need a lot of ECA support, either through direct lending or through insurance support, uh, you know, coming in. But where there are no credit rating issues, then uh, as long as, uh, you know, for example, project document or structural issues don't exist, then you see support coming in from all the lenders. Uh, I mean, without naming countries, you know, there are some countries which have not seen some of the lenders come in purely because those lenders have not been comfortable with the uh, project document structures that have been utilized. But there are still some other, you know, uh, commercial lenders that are. So uh, 
I think you have this support coming in from ECAs, commercial lenders, local lenders, and depending upon who's uh, more competitive at different points in time, uh, I, I think that structure keeps on changing. It's also dependent upon the size of the project. So if you're doing 300, 400, 500 megawatt project versus if you're doing a two gigawatt project, I mean, the total funding requirements change and hence your approach towards the same also changes. You know, then for a bigger project, you may still be, you know, looking at ECA support uh, more actively, export credit agencies, ECAs. I'm sure most of our, our listeners know what ECAs are. And as you mentioned, different countries have different requirements. And how important have the role of international financial institutions been? So I guess maybe not so much in the GCC in Egypt, they played a key role. And as we've discussed previously, I know Synergy's very active now in uh, the CIS region, where we have seen some regional developers such as Mazda and, and Aquapower winning quite a lot of, of work recently. And how important is their roles in countries that are seeking to develop an IPP program or clean energy programs? I think their support is critical. I mean, specifically in countries where these countries are developing these projects for the first time, or, you know, they don't have a tender process, so to say, in place. I think the support coming in from institutions like EBRD, ADB, IFC, I mean, it's it's very critical to the uh, successful development of uh, of a process of a tender process for renewable projects in these countries you know for example africa has always seen a lot of support from mdbs we ourselves you know have uh, have been quite active in quite a few of these countries we have we, we supported the egypt project for example as synergy you know that you mentioned as well we are we are actively looking at projects in georgia azerbaijan uh, uzbekistan kazakhstan we are supporting the government side on development of many of these projects and the MDBs, you know, like EBRD, ADB have been uh, supportive in the sense that, you know, they have, they are the ones who have been able to get the international advisors on board to support these governments in successfully executing uh, these projects. So a lot of development, I think, is progressing because of the support coming in from, uh, from, from these multilaterals. You know, right from the support in terms of putting in the international frameworks in place so that, you know, they're able to run a more successful process right up to providing the liquidity support. You know, the initial liquidity support that many a times is required in these countries as well to ensure that there is sufficient cash liquidity available for the developers and right towards lending in these projects as well. I mean, there's that initial lending support that's already there for the developers. So the developers take comfort from that as well when uh, you know they're looking at these projects so all of these countries you know from africa to cis i think uh, uh, and and within asia as well i mean the the mdbs are absolutely required because many of them are within credit ratings which the commercial lenders may not be able to support and that's where uh, their support is absolutely crucial as you mentioned there for getting international advisors in that have experience of working with such structures and projects is important. Keeping it simple, what are the key ingredients of a successful IPP project? You know, what, what have Synergy seen from clients and developers that has made projects successful and achieve low tariffs? There are enough international benchmarks available, you know, for successfully run transactions. 
I think it is very helpful for the country if they are able to utilize those. And, you know, every country has their own key requirements as well. But as a starting point, you know, these international projects kind of provide a very good starting point. To go from there, as long as the bankability issues are addressed to get support from the MDBs or from the lending market, etc., I think addressing these bankability issues as part of your project structure becomes quite critical. Beyond that, if there is additional support, either through tax breaks, uh, quite importantly, through, you know, forex convertibility, for example, because that tends to become an important factor. Many of the international developers, lenders want to see a USD benchmarked price. That effectively means that, you know, they need to be able to convert the local currency into dollars, you know, without restrictions at a market value. So having those kind of protections in place, which minimizes their foreign exchange exposure or or, or the local currency exposure to that extent, I think that ends up giving a lot of comfort and effectively becomes a a go-no-go criteria for many of the developers as well, you know, whether they're open to investing in projects within the country or not. Uh, So Forex convertibility support, I think, plays a huge role there. Beyond that, having the standard payment guarantees, you know, either through a direct liquidity support or, you know, through government guarantees, etc. And again, and I'm going into a bit more specific items, but these are the first things, you know, as a developer, as a lender, they look at when they're deciding whether to go ahead with the project or not. So I think having a bankable structure on these aspects goes a long way. Third part, which is equally crucial, but sometimes, you know, missed out is marketing those projects appropriately. If a country is developing a pipeline of projects, it's important to get that across to the developers, get that across to the community. And I guess this is where the role of many of these such sessions kind of helps because, uh, you know, people get to know about these kind of projects, the pipeline, and that's what gets the developers interested. Uh, And as soon as you've gotten some of these international developers involved and there is a pipeline, I think you're good. You're good to go and you can, you know, start improving your contractual structure, etc., and start getting more aggressive as an off-taker as well once you've run these initial few successful tenders at your end. Sure. When you were mentioning there regards to Forex and reforms, I guess Egypt was a good example of that, wasn't it, with its feed-in tariff program. The first round had attractive tariff, but it struggled due to concerns over the foreign exchange challenges there. For the second um, round, they they changed, they made a lot of changes. It, it was also, I think, to do with the uh, dispute resolution as well. Um, and they managed to get a lot of interest and now have delivered one of the largest projects in the world, I think, as a whole project. Something you mentioned earlier was the change in structures for finance. So you, you mentioned many perms there. After the financial crisis in 2008, there was a reluctance from international banks to support long-term loans for infrastructure projects. Do you expect to see more mini-perm structures and refinancings for utilities projects and renewables projects moving forward? If you talk about countries within the MENA, yes. More so because, you know, many of them have good credit ratings. So maybe just to take a step back, a good credit rating is quite important if you're looking at a mini-perm structure specifically because as soon as the credit rating is below investment grade, chances are that the extent of support that you get from commercial lenders, that starts diminishing. 
you start getting more support from either ECAs or you know multilaterals etc who typically look at long term financing themselves you know not as much at mini bond financing or so on so depending upon your own credit rating uh, you know you might want to start looking at mini perm structures opening up mini perm structures definitely has the positive that it opens up more liquidity for the market you know because there are many commercial lenders who only look at mini perm structures you know they are not keen on long term loans at all at their end and you know having mini perm structures just opens up uh, that liquidity for utilizing within the projects so uh, from the lenders perspective you know uh, they benefit from the shorter exposure and the lower pricing that they are able to provide which again leads to a better tariff because you know developers tend to pass on most of the benefits specifically in a tender process they tend to pass it all on back to the tariff there some of the developers although you know they can get more creative or more competitive in their assumptions that they are utilizing for these refinancing so many times they also themselves give themselves they give sufficient room to themselves to be able to refinance these projects at an appropriate time or they've given them three of a window of 2 3 years whenever their pricing is on the lower side they can go ahead and get the refinancing done and most of these projects again are supported that there are gains then they are split so to say so you know the developers also benefit from such refinancings but long story short mini firm definitely helps the liquidity there as increased flexibility and and innovation is important in finance and projects also for the developers themselves as we've seen with aquapower regional developer that's growing at a tremendous rate to support their future developments and and growing business they've undertaken a number of refinancings issuing bonds talk about innovation in financing projects do you expect to see more of that in the coming years and talk about is islamic financing in the region is that something you expect to see more of for projects and and also what about green investment funds and bonds are these the sort of innovations and funds you expect to see more financing for clean energy projects coming from in the future islamic financing has always been available the structures also have gotten streamlined enough in terms of documentation etc that islamic financing can be utilized if they are as competitive or more competitive than the international lending support that's coming from the market so islamic finance is something that's driven more by banks from the gcc themselves so if they are more competitive or equally competitive islamic structures can be very easily utilized for financing as well the green investment funds or the bonds that you see yes they do help in getting a better pricing from the lenders themselves because many of the lenders they sell out these loans ahead as well and getting better pricing from these green investment funds etc helps the overall lending market to provide more competitive terms for these projects as well i think something that will be interesting though will be to see uh, how these funds are able to support projects within the green hydrogen sector for example which is something which is new and upcoming in the region because many of the green hydrogen projects may have some level of market risk etc so uh, it will be interesting to see how they are able to support and what kind of terms under which they are able to support you know these projects because these are under development right now so we'll see that soon Green hydrogen is sort of the the buzz phrase, isn't it, in the in the energy sector at the moment, particularly in the Middle East. We've seen a lot of developments this year in terms of 
plans for developing green hydrogen. And I know that Synergy is advising on a, a large project in Oman, a green hydrogen project plan there. So are you excited about green hydrogen? Do you expect to see these plans coming to fruition? There is a lot of buzz around it, but green hydrogen poses uh, slightly individual risks of their own. I mean, it's not exactly the same as another solar project, purely from an offtake perspective, etc. So even the way the lenders look at it is something they are looking at it for the first time. I mean, to put very simply, you know, within the region. So their viewpoint is also a bit cautious from what we can see. But I think there is a lot of potential. At least there is a lot of market currently for green hydrogen. And I guess the more there are potential avenues to utilize these, I think this will continue. So definitely for a few projects, we can see that there is enough demand. And at least for these initial four or five projects, there will be enough space. Beyond that, I think we'll have to see how the market develops as well. There's a handful of projects in the region, but they're still across the world. Companies and governments are still looking exactly what they'll use green hydrogen for, what's the best way to use it, how it can be exported. And these issues that need to be decided first before the regulations and the projects follow. But it's definitely the next phase, isn't it? Now we've got clean energy. The next phase is how do you store it? It's about green molecules now as as well, the whole value chain. So I think that's a good place to finish. Um, I'd like to thank Arpan Nalwaya from Synergy Consulting. Many thanks, Arpan. I enjoyed the discussion today and we covered a lot of ground from some of the projects we've seen in the region, some of the structures, some of the issues, and also the opportunities in clean energy and green hydrogen in the future. Very happy to be here, Andrew, and thank you so much for inviting me as well. And thank you for listening to the latest Energy and Utilities Market Talk podcast and look forward to welcoming you back soon.